Are y'all, did y'all stay up too late last night? Are y'all asleep? Well, I mean, what's going on? Because we just slept through one of the greatest opportunities to celebrate that God has given us in the past month or two. Do y'all realize what we just did? Uh, we just added to our family of flags. We just expanded the influence of Grace Church on this globe. We just embraced an opportunity. Come on, somebody. Somebody wake up. I mean... That ought to be, uh, somebody should have hollered. I wanted to holler, but I was embarrassed because everybody else was asleep. I didn't want to wake y'all up. (laughs) I mean, look, yes, we will, Jacob, pray for y'all. Yes, we will be in touch with y'all. Yes, we will be over there to invade your house and have you cook for us and all of those types of things. Man, what a privilege that is. I mean, this is the reason we exist, is it not? So, man, we just look at at it as God has greatly enriched us. He has blessed us. He has given us a treasure by leading you two here. And we are grateful. We are honored to be considered your sending church, to be considered your family. And y'all let us know. Y'all, look, we're we're on a journey, but we haven't arrived yet. So y'all help us from your perspective know how we can get there. All right? So look, man, thank you. I I just had to go back and grab that. Uh, That just put chills on me uh, when she unfurled that flag and and gave it to Dr. John because that is the reason we exist. This is who we are. This is what we want to do, and this is who we want to be. And God has us set on that course, and I'm so grateful for it. Now, uh, this might be one of those salami sermons. You know what I'm saying? Uh, You know, uh, one of my lead professors taught me a hundred years ago that a good sermon is like a salami. You can just cut it off anywhere and it's still good. So I normally have more salami than I do do time to digest it all. So we may do that. So uh, who knows what's going to happen. But take your Bibles and find your place with me in the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter number 2 is where we are as we are preaching our way through the epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, and we're going to find ourselves in verses 1 through 5. So I know you have your copy of Scripture in front of you. I'm reading from my New American Standard, and here's what Paul said to that Corinthian church nearly 2,000 years ago, but it's just as relevant as if he would have written it to Grace Church yesterday. So here we go. Look what he says. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God." Well, you know that my wife Heather and I have been in the process of building a barn dominium, it seems like, for the past forever. Does building ever end once you start? I I don't know. That's a question that I've yet to have answered. But you have to understand, I am in no way, shape, or form qualified to be building a barn dominium. I am not a carpenter like some of you are. I am not an electrician like some of you are. I'm not an air conditioner man like some of you are. I'm not a plumber like some of you are. I'm a preacher, all right? And that's just not in my wheelhouse. But out of necessity, we've had to do a good bit. And I thank God every day for my grandpa who taught me farm construction anyway. And for my daddy who tried to teach me how to wire a house, but I wasn't a very good student. 
And for all the things that, that I've picked up along the way, I've had to bring them and rely on a lot of experts along the way. But nonetheless, I've learned a lot. The main thing I've learned is I don't ever want to do this again. Uh, I must have, been, must have been delirious when I had this harebrained idea to sell a perfectly good house in Rehoboth, Alabama and move to a secluded area of Pike County, Georgia, uh, Pike County Alabama and try to build a barn dominium. But praise God, we are almost through. We're almost done. But there's some more things that I've learned, and uh, 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 you know, I, I, I really will tuck them away. One of the things I've learned is this. There are some things that you do in a building process before any concrete is ever poured or before the first nail is ever driven that really determines where you're going to be with the end product. And this is normally the source of my, my, my building partner and I, we have a, a, a weekly meeting and it usually ends up just shy of going to blows because Heather wants to change things and, and I tell her, baby, that can't happen. She don't understand why at the last minute you can't just take and put a sink in a place where there is no plumbing or put a light where there is no wire or something like that. So a lot of times I say, baby, that, that can't be done. That ship has sailed it's out of the question. We can't put a sink right there because there's no way we can plumb it. We can't hang a light right there because I should have wired that six months ago and we didn't know it. So what you do in the beginning phases really determines where you're going to end up. But it's not just like that when you're building a house. It's like that when you're, when you're planting and growing a church. And you guys know that's what Grace Church is, right? You know, we would still be considered a church plant. We're a brand new church. We're only just a little more than five years old. So we are still in the building and the formation process as a people of God. And there are some things that, that we do or don't do that's going to be very important to where we ultimately get. So I want to speak to you today on the subject of attracting a crowd or growing a church. Because what Paul gives us here in this passage is a model for effective ministry. And my fear today is there are a lot of people out there who are wanting to start churches and wanting to initiate ministries, but they really have no plan. And without a plan, I can assure you, it's going to go just as much off course in the process as a building does if it hasn't been thought out well in advance before any construction ever begins. So how is it that we can get to where we want to be as a church? How is it that we can be who God wants us to be and who God designed us to be as a church? Because hear me, just because you have a building and you put a sign out front and a steeple, up, uh, a steeple on top of it, and you have weekly meetings doesn't mean that you're a church. You know, there are a lot of places today that are just attracting a crowd. But there's got to be some mechanism for taking a crowd. And look, we do want to attract a crowd, do we not? I'm not saying that's a bad desire. We want to attract as many people as we can and influence them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's got to be some mechanism to transform a crowd into a congregation and then move a congregation into being a church that is pleasing unto God, being who God wants her to be and doing what God wants her to do. 
And boy, my fear is today, there's a lot of crowds out there that are really way off base from what the New Testament says ought to be meaningful and effective ministry. So here we go. What is it that we learn as a church about attracting a crowd or growing a church? And how do we have a model for effective ministry that will get us to where we want to be? Great questions. I'm glad we're having a grace group this week because, man, we've got a lot to hash out when we get done here. Notice what Paul says, and I want to take this in reverse order. So let me start in verse number 5. And I want to do that because verse number 5 gives a purpose statement. How many times have I told you that when you see these words in Scripture, the first thing you want to do is pick up your pen and underline them. And here they are in verse number 5. So that... It is a very strict purpose clause in the original language. So Paul is telling us why everything that he just described between verses 1 and 5, maybe going all the way back into chapter 1, why those things are done. What is the purpose? What is the reason? What is the ultimate goal? So Grace Church, number one, for us to get to where we're going, we must have a specific destination. We've got to have a specific destination. Somebody's got to have the destination charted into our spiritual GPS because if they do not, if we do not, I promise you somewhere along the road we're going to hear Siri say, rerouting, rerouting. Where are we going? Who is it that we want to be? We must have a specific destination. And you know, you may have heard it said and... I certainly used to hear my daddy say it. He would say it in jest. When somebody was looking for something, he'd say, Oh, you can't get there from here. <laughs> you know, it sounds kind of crazy. Is there anywhere with physical directions that you can't get there from here? Where, maybe so. You know, there may be some geographical issues or something like that. You've got to turn around and go all the way back and, and take another approach to it. But I want to tell you, there's sometimes in church planning and in church growth where you can't get to a destination once you've already started headed somewhere. You can't get there from here. We want to make sure we never end up in that position as a young church and as a new church because just mark this down. Your destination is determined a lot by your starting point. Let me say it again. Again, write this down. Your starting point determines your destination. You can't just start from anywhere and expect somehow to mysteriously arrive in this grand place that is exactly what you have always wanted without first identifying where it is that you want to go. It's just like baking a cake. You can't just put any old ingredients in there and expect the thing to come out good. You've got to follow a pattern. You've got to follow a recipe. And you understand, that's a lot of what we have done here at Grace Church. Brad and Jacole, uh, you know, we are about, our mission organization is about the rapid reproduction of congregations among unreached peoples. And we've just learned there that there's some things that you can do in the beginning that will either help you do that or will either hinder you from doing that. So uh, whether you know it or not, we have a lot of missionary principles that are going into Grace Church that will help us get to where we ultimately want to be rather than hindering us from getting to where we want to be. And where you start 
says a lot about where you're going to end up. Now notice what Paul does here. He gives us two possible starting places. I think there are only two and every point of, of origination can be traced to one of these two points of origin. So notice what the starting places are. Look with me here in verse number 5. He says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. Now, do you see that little construction there? Wisdom of men. And the original language, what that's known as, that construction is known as a genitive of source. So what Paul is saying here, I've done all of this so that the source of your faith would not rest. The foundation of this superstructure that we're trying to build wouldn't be so flimsy that it would collapse because its source is the wisdom of men. Friend, listen to me. We can't base our faith, we can't build a church on the wisdom of men and expect it to get somewhere that has eternal significance, meaning, and value. You just cannot. Now, notice again what's going on here. Paul says the purpose phrase, I've done all of these things. We're going to look at that. That's his model for ministry. So that your faith would not rest, and here's the source, on the wisdom of men. But boy, I want to tell you, and listen, listen, hear me, hear me. On one hand, I feel like I can talk about us as a people because I've been a Southern Baptist all my life. So when I say we, a lot of times I'm talking general about us as a Southern Baptist. And I've done about everything that you can do as a Southern Baptist. I am well imbibed in the Southern Baptist as a people. You understand? I mean, I've given my life to this. So since I have, I feel like I can talk about us. Huh? Now, I don't make it my habit to talk about other churches, so please don't think I'm talking about other churches. I'm talking about Southern Baptists in general, and hence I'm talking about me. But I'm just afraid that there are more of our churches that their starting point is the wisdom of men. You know why? Because here's the starting point ultimately with the wisdom of men. It's a place of vulnerability. It's a place of vulnerability. If you rest your faith on something as flimsy as the wisdom of men... Hey, just take wisdom out and just say men. You rest your faith on men... And I want to tell you, your faith is vulnerable to shipwreck. Now listen to me. Let me get back to talking about us, can I? You can go just about to any traditional, long-standing Southern Baptist church that you want to. Throw a dart at a map. And you go to that church. Say you walk in First Baptist Church of anywhere. And you ask them how many people they have on their church roll. And then you ask them how many people they have actively involved in the life of their church. And the disparity is horrible. It's normally more than four times. For instance, you walk into a Baptist church this morning and there are 300 people there. I will almost be willing to bet you any amount of money that you go to their church office and ask how many members they have and it's going to be north of 1,200. Now what does that tell me? Friends, that tells me that somebody is building flimsy disciples whose faith is vulnerable and they can't even manage to show up at a weekly meeting. Dear God, that's vulnerability. Someone has said that faith that fizzles before the finish was flimsy from the first. Now, you may want to write that down. You may not want to say it too loud because you'll spit on your neighbor. Huh? 
Let me say it again. Faith that fizzles before the finish was flawed from the first. And let me tell you why so many churches are doing that. Friend, because I'm telling you, there's so many people and so many churches that have methods of ministry that is not grounding people on something solid, but people are putting their faith and their trust in men. And when you do that, you're vulnerable. So they end up with 300 folk gathered on Sunday morning, but they got 1,200 folk on their church row. You know what that tells me? That tells me something is wrong. Dear God, we're producing more dropouts than we are graduates. That means we need to go back to the drawing board. Hey, do you know why it is why we're losing our nation today? It's not because of liberalism. It's not because of political parties. It's not because of any of that. It's because the church has failed. By golly, if we hadn't failed to produce disciples, we wouldn't be having conversations like we're having today that if my grandpa could hear, he would think, Dear God, is this the same nation I lived in? Huh? We wouldn't be having that. We'd have people who are grounded. But let me tell you why it is today. Why the majority of young people who are products of Baptist, Southern Baptist churches, when they graduate high school and go off to the University of Florida or Florida State, end up being rabid liberal atheists. Let me tell you why. Because their faith was grounded on the wisdom of men. Because some charlatan stood before them one day and said, if you want to go to heaven and not to hell, would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and repeat after me? And when they did that, he dunked them in a tank of water, and friend, they were no more born again than a baboon. And then when they go off to college somewhere, they hear somebody that's just a little bit smarter than their pastor or youth pastor, and their faith ends up in shipwreck, and they walk away from it. That's how vulnerable people are when they put their when their faith is based on the wisdom of men. Huh? I mean, here's what happens when people's faith are based on the wisdom of men. You end up walking down Main Street in Bonifay and you hear folk talk, say things like this. Well, I used to go to church, but I don't go to church anymore because there's so many hypocrites in the church. I remember in 2007, Heather and I were pastoring a church on the East Coast, and God began to... Man, He just transformed our church through missions involvement and to the point where I just couldn't stand it anymore. I sat in my office as pastor thinking about what I need to be doing if I were on a cross-cultural mission field. And eventually we heard God very plainly through the Scripture direct us to the mission field. So we stepped out. And we'd already been involved. We really weren't total strangers. So we began to talk with people and... We were already partnered with Baptist College of Florida. We were already training leaders in the interior of Brazil where theological education is not accessible to them, certifying them through the Baptist College of Florida. We were already connecting churches to them. So we talked to the folk at the International Mission Board, and we just come to to the conclusion. They said to me, they said, Pastor Richie, we just, I'm sorry, we just don't have that model of doing what it is that you want to do and what you're already doing so well. So there's only one choice for us, and that was step out and do it by faith. So we did. With fear and trembling, we stepped out and did it by faith without having the promise of a biscuit next month to eat. You know what I'm saying? And then one day before I left, I was in the office and the leadership of the Florida Baptist Convention called me. Now look, I I was a Southern Baptist when I started this message. I may not be when I end if they hear this. They called me to 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 the fifth room board meeting 
in the Baptist, Florida Baptist Convention building downtown Jacksonville. And man, I said, yeah, I'll come down there. They said, we want to talk to you about church planning internationally. I said, okay. I get down there. Five of them got me in a boardroom on the fifth floor, and here's what they said to me. Verbatim. They said, son, you know where Florida Baptists need you? I said, no, but I got a feeling you're about to tell me. They said, let me tell you where Florida Baptists need you. We need you to pastor that church out in Hilliard, and we need you to lead missions to us. The son, you talk about a blow to the gut. That was a blow to the gut. I expected the leaders whom I had supported faithfully as a Florida Baptist pastor to say to me, we're so proud of you. You're being a big boy here and doing something by faith. We just want to pat you on the back, and, and is there any way we can help you get this done? They didn't. They took the opposite approach, and they gut-punched me, son, sucker-punched me. I was devastated. It just so happened that the next week was a meeting on the campus of Baptist College of Florida. At that time, I was serving on the board of trustees, and I came over there, and there are two men that I normally run everything by. One of them, Dr. Craig Connors, pastor of First Baptist Church in, in uh, uh, Panama City, he was there, and Dr. Kitchen. And after it was over, I talked to those two men, and I told them what happened, and I'll never forget. One of them put his head in his hand, and they could see how, how distraught I was, and this is what Craig Connor said to me. It made all the difference in the world. He said, listen to me. He said, your call didn't originate in Jacksonville, Florida. Therefore, it cannot die in a boardroom in Jacksonville, Florida. You get your honey up and you be faithful to what God's called you to do. And I said, "Woo! you're right. My call didn't come from that fifth floor office. It came from God Almighty. And son, if it didn't come from the fifth floor of the Jacksonville Baptist building, it can't be squashed on the fifth floor of the Jacksonville Baptist building. And let me tell you, it's the same way with your faith. If your faith didn't come from men, then I don't care how many hypocrites there are in the local church. They can't squash it. If your faith didn't come from men, I don't care how many smart intellectual idiots there are teaching at the University of Florida. They can't squash it. Huh? Y'all there? <laughs> Y'all still sleeping on me, ain't you? See, where you start from is going to determine where you end up. How much time do I have left? Look at there. This, uh, we're about ready to pull out a knife and salami this thing, ain't we? Let's take the other side of it. Paul says, if you're going to get to where you need to be to where God wants you to be as a local church, then listen, where you start determines where you're going to end up. And there's only two options for starting place. You will either start in a place of vulnerability of men, underline that phrase, or you will either start from a, from a place of victory. And here it is. Here's the other genitive of source, but on the power of God. So now you've got two things underlined in that verse. You've got the wisdom of men, and you've got the power of God. And can I say to you that if your faith rests on the power of God, then there's nothing men can do to knock you off of it. I don't care how many hypocrites there are. I don't care how many smart people there are. I don't care how many people hurt you. Son, I've been gut punched and sucker punched a time or two. 
But I want to tell you, my faith didn't originate with those people. And therefore, it's not vulnerable. It's not subject to what you do. It's only subject to who He is. Because that's the other starting point. Did I give it to you? One is a place of vulnerability. The other is a place of victory. It's a place of victory. Can I tell you what Jesus said? Jesus said, Those who start off with good intentions, but fizzle before the finish, will ultimately be saved. Is that what Jesus said? No, let me tell you what He said. Thank you, Perry. Gong. Bring him Remember the gong show? We need a gong in here. And some of you run gong that thing every now and then, huh? No, that needs to be gong. But there's a ton of people that believe that. Well, you know, I'm not involved in church. I don't have anything to do with God. Uh, I just thumb my nose at Him most of the time. But I pray a prayer and I'm going to heaven. No, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, those who persevere to the end will be saved. Now let me tell you what He meant. He didn't mean if you just get to the end of your rope and tie a knot in it and hold on with all of your might. That's not what He meant. He didn't mean if you'll just grab yourself by your bootstraps and pull yourself up against all odds. That's not what He meant. Here's what He meant. He meant, when I save somebody, they're saved forever. When I save somebody, they are transformed. When I save somebody, it's not by the wisdom of men, but it's by the power of God. Those who have been born again, whose faith rests on the power of God, friend, they are in a place of victory. And I want to tell you, you can't talk them out of it. You can't buy them out of it. You can't run them out of it. You can't injure them out of it because they are going to keep on keeping on because their faith is based on something that's stronger than any, any blow you can hit them with. Huh? I got some pretty smart seminary friends, doctors, and they all are always doing some research somewhere in history because they're trying to figure out where we went wrong. Have you ever wondered that? Where did we go wrong as evangelicals in the United States of America? Where did we go wrong? How did we start off in such a great position but lose it completely to end up in a place today like trying to have a Supreme Court justice define what a woman is? How did we get there? So they began to do some research into the spiritual awakenings that took place in the early stages of our country. We're, we're talking uh, late 1700s, early 1800s. And in their research, there are two things they found out were remarkably different than what we have predominantly happening in evangelical circles today in the United States of America. The very first thing they identified was back then, there was this little thing happening that they call supernatural regeneration. Supernatural regeneration. You know what that means? That means when folk were saved, son, they were saved by the power of God and their life was changed. Now hear me. That doesn't mean that you were a convict on death row and God saved you and all of a sudden you're a preacher. That, that, see, that's our modern concept of transformation. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean you were a bad guy, you were an outlaw, and now all of a sudden you're, you're singing with the worship team on Sunday morning. That's not what it means. 
It means that you might have been a morally good person, huh? But something happened to you one day where God invaded your world. He caused you to be born again and all of a sudden you came to life in another realm that you never even knew existed before. And now all of a sudden you are alive to the spiritual realities of God because you've been born spiritually. That's supernatural regeneration. It can only happen one way. And can I just be bold enough to say it doesn't happen because you prayed a prayer. It doesn't pr happen because somebody kind of forced you to make a decision. It happens because God in His power supernaturally regenerates somebody who was spiritually dead and He brings them to life. And man, I'm telling you, that's a place of victory. You know, I, I really do think that only those who are saved are going to survive in this life. They are. Most of the folk in church who, whose faith is based on the wisdom of men, it was just something they did, it was a self-help program, it was, it, it, it was something other than supernatural regeneration. You know who they are? They're a part of the... 800 that are on the church roll that has 1,200 but only has, no, 900, that only has 300 in attendance. Listen, you ain't got... Has anybody... Has anybody who has been supernaturally regenerated, have you come to the conclusion that this life is impossible to live? I mean, this faith walk, you can't do it on your own? Have you come to that conclusion yet? Huh? You can't do it. The only way you can do it is the same God who supernaturally saved you, supernaturally sustains you, and you are secure forever because of that. That's the only way you can survive spiritually. And I hear folk talking about all the reasons why they ain't involved in church. And if I wasn't such a merciful man and wasn't worried about hurting people's feelings like I am, touchy-feely, you know, I'd say, sir... You just need to come to some hard conclusions that you ain't in church because you don't love God. And the reason you don't love God is because you've never been born again. All you got was a dose of cultural religion and it ain't got you nowhere in life. If it ain't good enough to get you involved in the program of God on this planet, how in God's name do you think it's going to be strong enough to get you to heaven? Huh? <laughs> Look here. Paul says... If we're going to get to where we're going as a church, and hey, where are we going as a church? Man, it was on display this morning, wasn't it? From the time Dr. John stepped up here. Man, we're wanting to produce disciples that are like bulldogs who God supernaturally calls them to be born again. And son, they're hanging on, and you can do whatever you want to with them. They ain't going nowhere. And they ain't giving no excuses. It ain't because they can make more money on Sunday. It ain't because it's more fun to be somewhere else. It ain't because of anything. Son, because my faith is rested on the power of God and not the wisdom of man. And come hell or high water, we're in this thing to the very end. And you know when the end is? It's not. Because <laughs> it's eternal. It's eternal. There is no end. So hey, 
Are we attracting a crowd? Or are we growing a church? Hey, are we starting from a place of vulnerability? Or are we starting from a place of victory? If what we do is just based on the ideology of a couple of leaders rather than the power of God, then we'll not get out of the starting block before it falls. But I'm telling you, if what we are doing is based on the power of God, you don't have to worry about anything coming down the pike ever squashing it. Hey, how about you? Do you know that you know that you've been born again by the power of God? You know why it is why so many churches baptize so many people every year? It's not because they're, they're penetrating lost communities. It's because they just keep baptizing the same old people in their church over and over and over and over who never have security that they've ever been saved because they've never been born again because of the power of God. It's just been somebody talking them into something. And our churches are filled with people who've been baptized numerous times. And if you look at the outside, it looks like, oh man, they're reaching people. No, they're not. They're not grounding people enough to even know that they've ever been born again and that their faith rests on the power of God, not on the wisdom of men. Hey, where are you today? Do you know that you know? Have you been transformed? Have you been born again? God brought you to life one day and you woke up in another world, in another dimension, a spiritual reality that you didn't know existed. It's filled with the glories of God. Hey, start from a place of victory. Because you can't start from a place of vulnerability and ultimately end up where you want to be, either in this life or the one to come. Make sure you're resting on the power of God. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And God, our prayer is that you're going to help us as Grace Church make the distinction. Know what is coming from the source of this earth, from the wisdom of men, as opposed to what's coming from another realm. It's coming from your kingdom based on your power. I pray, God, you'll help us get where we're going because we're based and our faith rests on the power of God rather than the wisdom of men. I pray for those who are here today that, Lord, in their knower of knower, they have taken spiritual inventory today and they cannot say that. And yet they hear the Spirit of God today calling them to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today in Jesus' name there's going to be folk this day that rest their faith on the power of God and the fact that He alone saves, He alone transforms, and nothing can ever come between me and Him because it's based on His power, not mine. So Lord, I pray for those whom you're calling today to church membership. May this be the day that they step out by faith, do what it is that you've been calling them to do. I pray for those whom you're calling to salvation. May this be the day of faith for them as well. Whatever it is that you've said to us, God, may we be found faithful. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, I'll be right here on the front. Dr. John Wilson will be here. Colin Dollar's already up here. The Lord said something to you very quickly today. And you need to make a, 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 a step in the right direction to get where it is God wants you to be. Won't you do that right now?